You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. I think that what happens is it's not an instant thing. It's not a, I started this business because of my why. You sometimes discover how the business connects to your personal why, your personal drive, your motivation, your deepest values as you go along. But I do think it's important to keep asking yourself that question. Why am I doing this? What part of my personality, my values, does this business connect to? What, what do I stand for? Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 40 of the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Haile, and today I am joined by the incredible David Beckett. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Very happy to be here, Naomi. I'm happy to have you. So for some context on David before we dive into the episode, David has created a business around his lifestyle and travels the world, works with organizations and their teams to ensure that, you know, their ideas have a voice. David is also a senior pitch coach at Startup Bootcamp Amsterdam, author of the book Pitch to Win. And how I specifically came across uh, David's work was when my friend and I were preparing for a pitch competition a couple of months ago. And we came across your website and delved into the pitch canvas to help with organizing our ideas and really clarifying you know, our business pitch in a very simple way. Cool. So Great. David conducts pitch workshops for companies and startup accelerators, mainly across Europe, and you have coached over 950 startups to make outstanding pitches, and they've raised an incredible amount of investment through that process. And yeah. one, one belief that, that you have that I deeply appreciate and want to shine a light on is, quote, I believe talented people with great ideas that could change lives need a voice. And I am excited to learn about your story and your why as well. And so for you, what is your origin story and what exactly was your life like before you started this business, you know, more than seven years ago? And sure. how did you transition into outside of the corporate life as well? Yeah, so I, you know, I studied English literature at the university, which, you know, is a fantastic thing to study, but not much use when it comes to getting a job. I stumbled into a job with Canon, the camera company, and that job was my life for 16 years. And I was Mr. Canon. I was the guy in the suit. If they needed somebody to go and represent Canon anywhere in the world, they sent me out, wound me up, and away I went. Mm -hmm. And I went from being a marketing assistant through to a country director and, and everything in between. And one of the things that came from that whole corporate life, one thing that really fascinated me was how much impact the ability to present made on people's careers and almost unfair. In fact, I think you can say it's an unfair uh, advantage if somebody can present well. And I made it a specific task for myself to, to be good at this because I saw what difference it made. And uh, that came to a, a halt in 2009. Uh, my job moved from Amsterdam. I'm based in Amsterdam. And my job moved back to England. And I decided I wanted to stay away from where I was born. I wanted to keep learning new things and different things. And I did some very various things. I, I wrote a book about Amsterdam. I had some jobs with other companies. Uh, I got fired from two of those jobs, not reorganized, but like, here's the door, please use it. <laughs> so that was, that was a shock after a 16 year steady career. And then after one of those firings, you know, we had a young child, less than one year old, a big mortgage from my poor past life. And I sat there thinking, what are we going to do to pay the bills? And I, I took post-it notes 
you know, that's my methodology for anything, for creative thinking, especially for a pitch. But I got some post-it notes and wrote down ideas that I thought might be able to pay the bills. And I had seven ideas and this was one of them. But this was the one that I was most passionate about to help people uh, get their stories out there. And it took a while, took a couple of years of burning savings and doing a lot of free or low price work. But in the third year, it started turning into a profitable business and it's, it's grown from there. Big change, I must say. Yeah. And when you wrote down those ideas on a, on a piece of paper, how did you go about testing them? Or did you just, you wrote them down and you said, you know, this one is the one that resonates with me most. Let me try that first. Yeah. Honestly, it was more like, here's these seven ideas. Let's just start talking about them to people. Mm-hmm. And I started going to network events. This is where I learned what the question, what do you do actually means? Because when they would say, what do you do? I would give them these seven ideas. And there were things like, I turn, I turn people's books into digital iBooks, interactive iBooks. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I help people help small businesses develop their business plan. I help people present their ideas. And, and I gave them like four different, four or five different things. And people would say at the end, sorry, what do you do? <laughs> they couldn't follow. <laughs> yeah. and, and I remember going home to my wife one day and saying, I think I need to choose. And I just, the choice came down to what am I passionate about and what am I good at? Mm-hmm. And the two things I'm passionate about coaching people. I was also fascinated by presentation. I was good at it. So I took those, that as being the nearest thing to, to a, yeah, something that I, I thought I could add value for. Fact was, you know, there's hundreds of presentation trainers around, but I luckily came on this idea of pitch rather than presentation. And there's not that many pitch trainers, at least in Amsterdam. I hit a niche that is growing because people need to pitch more and more. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, how did I test it? I just started telling people and uh, finally realized that, that I had to make a choice and just go down one route. And luckily that worked. If that hadn't worked, I would have tried one of the other things on the post-its. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned in explaining your experience in corporate life, how mm. you really saw the difference between folks and their ability to advance based on how well they were able to present their ideas mm. or you know sell company values or products. During your time in corporate, did you have mentors who, who also guided you in that way? Or was it strictly on observation that you noticed this? I had two, two things, one, one mentor and one learning together with other people. So the mentor, my first boss was a guy called Lance Miller, a tough character. Um, he'd worked in advertising for 20 years and I had never worked in an office. And I think he was looking at me and thinking, I, I don't know what this guy is here for, even though he'd hired me, but I, I didn't understand understand what was going on to be honest but one day we had some people come to visit the office and he said you know what Beckett you do the presentation tell them about the company and he gave me the slides and I did a quick run through and then presented it and he saw that I sort of had some some mini talent to be able to do this so he then said okay I'll show you how to do this properly and he instilled in me these basic principles of presentation so he said to me if they want page of A4, give them a document. If they want a document, give them a presentation. If they want a presentation, give them the best pitch you, they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So always, always over-prepare for these moments when you present your work. And that was a, a value which I, I had. Yeah, I mean, he was a rough character. This was instilled in me through the medium of shouting at me. <laughs> <laughs> it was really... Uh, you know, come on, Becky, get creative. You know, it was really, uh, and I removed a lot of the swear words from that. 
and yeah. uh, he uh, he was he was tough with me. But when I succeeded, he gave me the credit. He gave me a platform. He gave me the opportunity to test out whether I could do this. And when it went wrong, he didn't kick me. Uh, and and when it went right, he he made me feel ten feet tall. So that was the first kind of instilled. This is valuable kind of message and this is how you can do it then the second thing was that over the years i and two or three other colleagues of mine at canon realized how important this was and we would help each other so if i sat in on my friend morton's presentation afterwards we would sit together and talk about it how did it go what was good what was not good what could you improve for next time and then he would do the same thing for me we never called it mentorship but it was mentorship. Each time we did a good presentation, you could see you just got more resources, more confidence from people. They believed in you. And that just made all the wheels turn. It was the that confidence in you as a presenter turns into confidence in you as a professional, which gives you the oil of resources for the gears. Mm-hmm. And you notice you were practicing with your with your peers and your colleagues and your mentor yeah. and you did you saw it kind of show up and illustrate in the way that you were able to advance in your career yeah actually you know grow in those 16 years and so when it was time to leave how did you start crafting your message and your value proposition because you decided, okay, I'm going to help people, you know, shape their ideas, be able to pitch yeah. and present. How did you go about refining this and, and crafting what you were specifically going to offer to people? So well, the starting point was just honestly randomness. And I had written a book called Three Minute Presentation, a short book, 15,000 words, self-published. And I basically said, hey, I've written this book. Will you hire me? And so I, I do encourage people to write the book about what they're passionate about, what they want to make a business about doesn't have to be big. It can be short. It can be 10,000 words. It can be just, you know, 10,000 words most people can write. And a typical business book has 60,000 plus so, or 45,000 plus. So you, you, you can write a 10,000 word book. That's, that's what I started. And then gradually, luckily, I got somebody who, so I, I went to a lot of networking events and talked to people about what I was doing. One of those people at the network events said to me, get connected to this startup accelerator, startup bootcamp. They have a very specific time at the end of the program when they need to pitch. So they need your help. They must need your help. So get connected with these people. So I thought this was great advice to find somebody who didn't generally need my help, who urgently at a certain moment needed my help. And I've noticed over the years that that urgency is really critical. If you try and train people, say, two months before they're pitched, they're just not interested because they're too they're too busy with other things. If you talk, train them two days before their pitch, they are desperate for your information. And so hitting the right time of urgency, trying to match what is it that they need and when, and, and trying to connect your offer with them, I think was really useful. Then what I did was I pitched myself as a mentor to the, the founders of uh, Startup Bootcamp, even though I didn't really know what a startup was. I didn't really know what a pitch was, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned while I was training them, and I spent many, many, many hours for free working with this team in this intense seven or eight week period towards demo day. And I learned by sitting with other people who were giving them advice and trying to work out what advice do these people give 
how can I frame that in my own way? And and I, I basically modeled, I, I came up with my uh, pitch canvas by working with startups and trying to find out what kind of things do they want to tell. Then what I also did was sit on the other side of the fence with investors and people who are listening to the pitches and asking them, what do you want to hear? What do you need to hear? What don't you like in a pitch? What do you like in a pitch? So the answer to your question was, is a lot of random hard work uh, to start off with, which gradually narrows down into a bit more targeted hard work. And just by connecting with the people on any side of the fence, the people who are trying to achieve something and the people who they want to achieve it with and understanding what they want and what they need. And gradually, I started building that story and retrospectively began to realize how that connected with my own values and what I care about. That, that wasn't crystal clear to me at the time, but it, it came as I, as I started working with people. Mm-hmm. And so you were able to get your foot in the door. Was this actually, was it Startup Bootcamp in Amsterdam? Startup Bootcamp, you, yeah. In Amsterdam, That's right? right, yeah. Okay, very yes. cool. And then once you started, were you solely focused on this organization, helping these founders, talking to investors? At that point, did you start speaking and start sharing your message elsewhere? Or were you say, were you trying to get this, the foundation right first? Well, I was also offering training to uh, companies. I just wasn't getting hired very much. <laughs> so I was trying to offer that. And I had built a website and I was, you know, trying to, to get connected with companies and trying to work out what they needed, but there was almost no take up. And so I ended up spending a lot of my time with Startup Bootcamp. And as I say, that was for free. So we were just burning savings at the time, which was very scary. But I learned in a very intensive period with a lot of hours. I was trying to talk to other people, but I wasn't getting very, very far. Now, what happened is that at the end of that program, the Startup Bootcamp program, they have a demo day and they present, uh, they pitch to a lot of people. And some of the people in that audience said, hey, these guys did amazing pitches. Who trained them? And luckily, Startup Bootcamp said, well, he did, (laughs) pointed (laughs) at me and I got my first corporate clients so I got a bank and a a scale up and that started to be revenue generators so the great thing about my work is that people get to see the result Mm -hmm. anytime you can show the outcome of what what work your clients do I think that's that's the most powerful thing. It's not so much showing here. Here's my training, okay? But what what happens as a result of your training? Right. Well, these people can do these pitches like this. Okay, that's what I want. All right, then maybe I want the training. I think that's a bit different to just saying, "Here's my training. Do you want it?" It's here's my training. Here's the great stuff that these people uh, did as a result of my training, and that that gave them a, an insight into what I could deliver. And proof, right? Because I think at the end of the day, when Absolutely. you're seeing and the, the seeing the final result, success always has history. Yeah. And so, you know, after talking to these clients, and I mean, you've done this hundreds, thousands of times, how can people turn their messages into stories that people are drawn to? And what, what did you notice as the key differentiators between the people that you mentored and worked with and the people who were being coached by other folks? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, what's the difference? I think my my goal is firstly to give people practical things that they can do. And so I, I find a lot of coaches have a break them down, build them up approach. And maybe that works. I don't know. If it does work, I'm not sure it's a very joyful process. It works for some people, but I think most people don't enjoy that process. So I hear people say, yeah, I tore their pitch apart and then I showed them what they should do. And I... I'm not sure that's the, the best way. My 
my approach is a bit different. My, my approach is very much find out what's going right and tell them so that they know what they need to keep doing. Mm-hmm. Then help them to find how to improve. And the reason they're not doing it right is normally because they, they don't have the tools. They don't have the, the things that, that, that will help them. So they don't know what they need to talk about. And they don't know how to build the story around what they need to talk about. So my my task is to give them practical things that they can do. And uh, the other thing I really aspire to is to give people a process. So they work with me one time. Ideally, that should be something they can do for the rest of their life. I, I find that that's, that's also a very compelling message to clients. Now, you know, from a business point of view, I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea. You could argue it's a bad idea. Um, because then they don't need to hire you again. But I think the, the market for helping people to tell their story in a short, sharp way is so massive that if I can give everybody a possibly get hold of and they could use them for the rest of their life, I think there's an endless market. Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's, there's always people coming through. How do you turn your, your proposition into compelling stories? I think there's two big, big things. The first is to talk about the problem that you solve. Not every industry has this. Generally, if, you, if you're creating a product, you're training somebody or you've created a product that is, you know, it's an app or it's a, it's a something or other, normally it's solving a problem. And there's a massive difference between saying, for example, say you've got a parking app. You say, we've built a parking app that using open APIs and uh, Internet of Things makes it easier to park. It's really not compelling because we don't really know what APIs are or Internet of Things. We don't understand that. If you say to somebody, you know, on average, it takes people over 20 minutes to find a parking space. And what that means is that people three times a week are missing out on dinner with their families because they're looking for that elusive parking space Mm -hmm. uh, or they're missing out on having time with their friends. Now, that's a pain that we all can associate with. I might not have a car, but I have a family. Or, well, I don't find it difficult to find a parking space, but if other people are finding that and they're missing out on time with their family, I get that. So I think the pain, getting clear what the problem is that you solve before you talk about the product, and then secondly, making it human about real people who are experiencing real problems and how you solve it for real people. These are the ways to make it compelling. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you were describing that parking issue, I don't know, in my heart, I was like, oh, David understands me. And it can be frustrating, you know, a lot of the times. And that's why people buy products. Does it make my life more convenient? Does it offer, does it allow me to save time? Do I have more quality because this is in my life? I exactly that. Crafting that is is very powerful. Exactly that. And I think that thing about they understand me, you know, the more that you talk about problems, people sometimes say, why should I talk about problems? It, that's negative. But the fact is that problems are universal and products are very specific. So as soon as you tap into the problems that people experience, Either we've experienced them ourselves or we can relate to them very often. Whereas a product, a parking app, I don't don't know how to relate to a parking app, but it takes 20 minutes to find a parking space. Oh, yeah, I've had that. Mm -hmm. That, that, That's a classic example. So anytime that you can make it relatable to other people by talking about the problem that you solve, that's always a, a good starting point. And I, I spoke with folks in my community and in the city around, you know, what were they looking for? Because I told them that I was going to be interviewing right. David Beckett. And, you know, a lot of them right. are struggling with 
being able to identify, you know, who their target market is and yeah. how to really have the confidence to share here is my product or my service or my idea. And this is exactly who I'm serving. And so if you were giving advice to people who have been running their business maybe for two years and they're in the art space yeah. in terms of being able to identify exactly who they're serving, especially when a lot of different types of people buy their product, uh, what would you recommend for for individuals in that space? I think there's a there's a, a balance between what you broadcast and who you serve. And so what I mean by by that is, uh, for example, I would if somebody said to me, "Who are your customers?" I would probably say, uh, give them two or three groups of customers. So I would say, "I'm serving uh, startups. I'm serving corporate innovation teams, and sometimes coach TEDx speakers." and those would be the, the three groups. But actually, I've got about seven or eight different groups of customers that I serve. Now, if I try to put even even those three already, it's difficult to put, for example, on a website. Now, it's not that I don't serve, say, professionals in the middle of a company or managers or executives or, you know, I do serve those people. But if I try to put TEDx speakers, executives, marketing management, startups, corporate people get lost. Right. So they don't know where I am. So what I learned over the years, I started by being very general and I gradually started getting very specific on my messaging in terms of who I serve, who the, the target audience for these products are. That doesn't mean that they're, they're the only people that I serve, but they're the main people that I serve. So I, I learned that each time I said no to something, it, the, the things I said yes to got stronger. And I think my answer is, by all means, be general, especially at the opening, at the early stages of the business, to, to be open to working out who is the target audience, who responds best to what I offer, and and go with the flow a little bit. Have a plan, but be ready for that plan to change. But after two or three years, I think it's good to start saying, you know what, the majority of my revenue is coming from these kinds of people. Mm -hmm. So I'll focus my messaging on this group and this group and, uh, and start to get more dialed down on specific groups that are generating revenue. So if you've got, say, six or seven different types of people that, that you generate revenue from, if there's two of them that are generating, say, 60% of the revenue, that might be the two groups to start to, to focus on. I always find one of the things I learned from, from my corporate life, you know, there's a lot of pluses and minuses about working in corporate life. One of the best things was I was taught in Excel. I, I, we, we ran the business using Excel and numbers, and I'm not brilliant with numbers at all. But what I did do was I, I measured everything in my business, in the revenue, where is it coming from? I tried to decide what type of customer is this. So a customer hired me for a job. I would try to give them a category. And then I have a very simple Excel of here's the customer, here's the revenue, this is the, the, the category of customer. And then at the end of the year, you can take a look and just see, okay, which category of customer has generated the most revenue? Mm -hmm. And that simple process of measuring definitely guided me to who the audience were, who, who I should focus more of my messaging on. And I, I appreciate the differentiation between what you broadcast and who you serve and yeah. how it doesn't necessarily need to be the same thing because it, it would confuse yeah. you know, your audience and your customers, I think, in the long term. Fantastic. And um, this is called The Power of Why Podcast and, and a huge part of it is really understanding the why, people's personal why behind their business and behind their ideas. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we got, we got elements of it definitely in sharing, you know, how you allow people to sort of amplify their why through their businesses and through their ideas. And so for you, how does being a pitch coach really help people share their why more effectively? Yeah. So this is really a fascinating part of the pitch because to me it's the differentiator. If you can put your personality into the pitch and connect why you believe this is a great idea, why you believe this matters for these people that you're pitching to, and, and it genuinely it genuinely comes from your own why. It is dynamite. It is extremely powerful. The difficulty is that sometimes it's really hard to pinpoint what your why is. I would say that, say, when I started this business, if I asked 10 entrepreneurs, why are you doing this? I would say seven out of 10 of them could answer. These days, it's, it's down to about four and sometimes even less. The reason for that is there are more people starting their own business. It's easier. So mm-hmm. sometimes people just prefer to start a business for themselves rather than start join a company. And secondly, there's opportunities to solve problems that are not necessarily problems that you're passionate about. Sure. You can solve them anyway, just by good execution. However, I still think that everybody, whether they know it or not, is doing something that connects to their own why somewhere. And I think we don't always know that at the beginning. I didn't start this business and say, I believe great ideas need a voice. That's why I'm going to be a pitch coach. That, that was something that developed. It, it was about a year in that I started using that phrase. And what I realized that as I was working, I realized what an amazing kick I got from this yeah. joy of helping people f- who couldn't explain what they're doing to a point where they could express it in front of an audience of 400 people. And I, and I realized, wow, I love to give these people a voice. Now, that wasn't something that I knew before I was doing it. But once I saw it, I tried to find a way of, of expressing that, of putting that in a sentence, in a, a set of, of phrases that were true to what I really felt. And then I started thinking about, well, why, why does that matter to me? Why, why do I care? And I, and I know, you know, for myself, I, I hate not being listened to. It drives me yeah. nuts. And so I, I think that what happens is it's not an instant thing. It's not a, I started this business because of my why. You sometimes discover how the business connects to your personal why, your personal drive, your motivation, your deepest values as you go along. But I do think it's important to keep asking yourself that question. Why am I doing this? What part of my personality, my values, does this business connect to? What, what do I stand for? The more that people do that, the better it, I think the pitch will be. I, I think it's essential. And it's not easy, but constantly asking that question as you go through developing the business and asking yourself, why do I get joy from this? What bits of this give me joy? And why is that? How does it connect to me? I think that can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. So just being self-aware through the process and just not getting complacent. So asking yourself those, those questions throughout. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there are, I mean, the classics are Simon Sinek talk is a great starting point. There's another guy who I love listening to a guy called David Batstone. It's a B-A-T Batstone. And he's a, he's a guy that has created big companies who are doing good. And his starting point is why is it that companies who make a complete mess of the world are allowed to make as much money as they like, even while they're polluting the world, they're making terrible situations for their, their employees. They're allowed to make as much cash as they like. But if you want to do something good, you have to be a charity. You're not allowed to make money. How does that work? And that starting point 
And he, and he tells amazing stories around this. I think he's the best speaker I've ever seen. And it's very much about being purpose-driven and having a starting point of that kind of question, like, why is that not possible? Why, why is this happening in the world? Sometimes that's your starting point. Or sometimes that becomes the reason why you do it. Yeah, I think there's uh, being being self-aware about the process and just looking at, looking around for people who resonate with you the way that they communicate about what they're doing and thinking, hey, how can I how can I adapt that approach myself? I think that will help people. They're definitely telling your drive and why you believe it, your personal enthusiasm, that is a massive factor in pitching ideas, pitching business. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's always those little points that connect back to a memory or an experience that we had. That's that's really interesting. And for you, do yeah, you totally agree? You say that you believe talented people with great ideas that could change lives need a voice. Do you also believe that we need these out of box ideas to create successful businesses, or are you of the belief that you know everything that we can create has already been done before. It just may require your unique taste or spin to, to pick it off the ground. Maybe a bit of both. I think in general, the second one, there are a lot of good ideas out there that haven't been executed, that haven't been uh, implemented. So I think it does. we don't need to be, you know, the most creative people in the world with the idea. I think we just need to be really great at at putting great ideas into place. But just as an example of a, of a new idea, I coached a team recently that is in the fashion industry and they're working in factories in places like Bangladesh. And what they've done is they've put a supermarket in the, the factory and they get the space from the factory and they've got partnerships with various uh, suppliers. So all their costs are lower than typical supermarkets. And what they do with that money, that extra margin, is they provide, by people buying their groceries from those shops, they get a 10% discount on all the, everything they buy, and they get free health insurance. It's, it's an insanely oh, wow. clever, amazing concept. By buying your groceries in the shop, in the factory, you get free health insurance. I just, when I had this idea, I thought, these people have done something that I could never have thought about. And so every now and again, you get an idea where it's just totally off the wall. But I also think that there's a lot of simple ideas, straightforward ideas that have been tried many times before or have been tried in various shapes and forms. In the end, maybe your version of that hasn't been tried. Your personality hasn't been applied to that idea we don't have to be super creative in the the idea itself i just think that having an approach to it a determination yeah a personality a way of doing things that's probably more important than the idea itself i mean if you look at all the big the big big ideas you know the classic big examples of facebook and airbnb and uber and so on none of these were the first ideas there are plenty of of people who tried to do those things before and uh, i think that's probably the case with most big ideas there are people who have tried it before and then finally somebody nails the combination that makes it work and you know when i talk about changing lives that sounds very big but i think you can change one life and change two lives that's already good is ideas that can change lives can be for two people for five people and they could be for five thousand, five million. That, that's great. And if you can do something which makes it better for some people, you, you're on the right track, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm curious. Back when you were starting this idea, and you mentioned that you were, you did, I think, five different roles. 
in, in four years after you left Canon. And this may have not yes. been the most popular thing, but at the end of the day, that's part of your story and it's part of your journey. And what was it like to take this risk and start up this incredible business that was very difficult at the beginning while also starting a family? Yeah. What was your mindset at that time? And when you look back and reflect, what did you really learn during that period? Well, first thing, I was incredibly lucky to have a partner that totally supported me, as in 100%. So my wife, Sheila, who is actually now, um, she's also a pitch coach. We're working together. She's delivering workshops and so on. That's, that's another story. But the first thing was that she never had one word of doubt while I was working on this. And it was her, basically her money that we were burning. She'd spent years saving, and we burned about 75% of her savings in a couple of years. And she never earned big bucks. She earned very little money over the years. She was working in publishing. And so it took her 20 years to, <laughs> to save the money penny by penny. Wow. And we spent a lot of it. So that was the first thing is I think, you know, being in it together is a starting point. If you're if you're in a, in a relationship, I think being in it together is a starting point. But the other thing is, you know, I it was a risk. It was a massive risk. You know, my last job was as a business unit director with a six-figure salary and a big bonus and health insurance and, and all the stuff stuff and I quit that one before they fired me so I could have got fired for a third time and when I quit we had like some money in the bank about five months of runway and then once that was gone we started eating into savings it took us two years to make to break even when I look back on that time it was terrifying but I just worked I just worked and I worked you know I spent time with my my daughter she was just less than one year old when we started this business so I had I worked four and a half days but I worked a lot of nights I worked till midnight I worked I just worked and you know in the end there's not really a shortcut and what did I work on I worked on my website on uh, materials on the workshop on proposals on posting on social media anything I could think of that would connect with people and help me deliver better value and then as I started the business the business started working we were still we weren't breaking even but I used to say you know salvation is in the quality of the work if I just make this person in front of me succeed if they can pitch better if they can shine when it matters then everything will be fine it will work out if we just keep consistently doing this mm -hmm. i keep delivering amazing value salvation's in the quality of the work and that was true you know the, the reason why we went from being a non-profitable business to a profitable business is that we built up a set of repeat customers so programs that repeated every year and got new ones because they told people hey this David Beckett guy, he, he can really help you. It is true, the salvation was in the quality of the work, but I, I didn't focus on how can I make money? I focused on how can I make these people fantastic at what they do, thanks to partly my help. Mm -hmm. If I can do that, my business will grow. And so I, when I look back on those times, you know, we, it was really dicey. We could have been, we weren't far off going bankrupt. We were probably about three or four months away from being bankrupt. The focus and the hard work on making other people great was the, the one thing that, that worked for us. And I'm, yeah, of course, I'm utterly delighted that it turned out to be something that, uh, you know, because I love this job, could do this job for the rest of my life. I love helping people tell their story. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, it turned into a business that we, we could live from. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. And also not thinking about, I think there's two questions that you can ask. It's how can I be successful versus how can I be useful? And I think you in asking how you can be useful and provide value to people so they can be fantastic in their yeah 
endeavors. That was really what set you apart too. That's a great note. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and actually, um, I was in a pitch competition last year, a very small one, but I decided to pitch as a startup because we're, we're scaling. We're, we have an online academy. We have, and uh, I pitched, instead of pitching, here's our program, here's our trainers, here's this, here's that, what we're doing. We changed it and made it so that here's the impact we've made and gave examples of companies that we, or, or entrepreneurs that we trained mm-hmm. who had gone on to do amazing stuff. And that pitch won. And, and I think we won because we talked about what our clients do, not we, what we do. Right. What they do, they do wow. because of what we, how we help them. And so I'm, I think that's a, that's, that's a good way to uh, pitch your business is talk about what your clients are able to do as a result of your help. Mm-hmm. Wow. And before we wrap up and ask the, the last question on the power of why, I'm curious because I think, you know, a lot of people have these ideas within them. And for multiple reasons, for very different reasons, they might feel nervous or anxious about putting themselves out there and getting outside of their comfort zone. And so for you, were you nervous when you were in this company at Canon pitching for the company or go spreading the message? And as you pivoted and started your own company, what was really something that helped you get outside of your comfort zone, especially because this was a complete unknown. What would you leave people when it comes to sharing their ideas and getting outside of their comfort zone? Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. I, I so when I worked for Canon, somehow the you're always in this warm bath of the corporate structure. You know, we had an amazing brand, we had great products. So in the end, you were always pitching to converts. Then when I went out of that that world and started pitching myself, you know, in the end, I had. To, I had people who constantly told me, this, you'll, never, you'll never succeed. It's really difficult to do this. There's loads of presentation trainers. You'll never succeed. I had plenty of people who said that, friends as well as people who are not exactly friends. And I think that that, that can happen and you have to make a call on what that means for you. At a certain moment, you've got to decide, okay, does that mean something? Should I take that seriously? And then pivot, change. If that, you know, Sometimes you do get good advice like that. Or you just say, I'm simply not going to listen. I believe that I'm going to do it no matter what. I think you have to make a decision on that because if you listen to all the feedback and the advice you get as you go, that might not be good advice. They might not be the best people to give you that advice. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think is, um, you know, I, in the end, necessity is a great driver. I had no choice. We we would have run out of money. And I had to do, I had to go out there and try and make it work. And when I did my first workshops, I, I'd never delivered a workshop in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought to myself, what, what would I have wanted if I was sitting on the other side of this fence? I, I sat in loads of workshops. So what would I want? Things like I play music when people do exercises. I didn't know whether people would like it, but I did it one time. And people, people commented, oh, it's really nice. You know, while they were thinking, there's a bit of background music. And because I thought, God, I hated those moments when I was in, in those workshops and there were these long, quiet periods. It's so heavy. What would I have wanted? I wish they would have played a bit of music. Mm-hmm. I'll do that. So, and so what I would keep doing, so the answer to the question is really, I don't really know. I think, I think firstly, not being paying too much attention to advice unless it's really from people that you think are ideally positioned to give you advice. And secondly, 
just going out and doing it and and being prepared to to make a mess of things and realizing it's not the end of the world the great thing about doing things for yourself is there's very little impact really if you screw things up what's the worst thing that happens those few people that saw it think oh you're no good at what you do okay that 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 that, that's not the end of the world they're not going to come around and set light to your house you know they're they're just not going to think very well of you. And uh, every time you do it, you will guarantee you'll learn. And what's interesting is my wife has been doing going through the same process for the last 18 months. 18 months ago, she started delivering the workshop that I deliver. Um, and uh, she'd never delivered a workshop either. And I've been able to observe her go through the stress of n- not being experienced, having to learn, doing the work to prepare herself because she just works like crazy to be prepared. and gradually gaining the confidence um, through just doing it. And it started going okay, and then it started going well, and now it's going fantastic, you know. She had no experience in that, but she dared to just try it, go out there, give it a shot. Yeah, so I think necessity can push you into those situations anyway. And don't be afraid, what's the worst thing that can happen? They're not going to hurt you. They might think badly of you. Okay, next time they'll think better of you, I'm Mm. I'm sure. I think that that note of confidence comes from doing and actions and practice is is really important and i think at the beginning too as you mentioned you're not going to be the most skilled at this at doing whatever you're working on but the more you do it i think that's when your confidence starts to grow and you're like almost prove to yourself that it's possible yeah there's a great line from uh, pippi longstocking she she says well i've never done that before so probably i can do it (laughs) <laughs> and, and that's a that's an amazing mindset i think yeah. to, to try to approach things with because because you've never done it before you've never found out if you can't do it so probably you can right. I, I, I love that and of course it's a bit naive and so on but yeah i think it's a mindset it's a pretty good one to start with mm-hmm. thank you david thanks for sharing all of your experiences and insights on this very incredible journey and for one thing i've been able to take away is that our lives are not a straight line path and there's winding roads and you figure it out as you go. But at the end of the day, when you're aligned and you believe in your message and what, and the work that you're doing, then there's really nothing that you can stop you. I totally agree. For the final question on the power of why podcast, what is, what is your why when shit hits the fan and you're tired and you're maybe on the brink of giving up on, on your mission, what is the reason that you keep going? And I want you to be really specific. It is very simply the joy of seeing people being able to, to do this thing called pitching. You know, I have one very concrete example that I can, I can give you. Once I coached a set of, of people in a company, a lot, really large consulting company, and there were three teams pitching. One of the teams had chosen a person who was not the obvious person to pitch. It was a quiet uh, female in the team, and she was not the typical loudmouth person. And this was a very male-dominated company, and she did the pitch. And she did an amazing pitch in front of some of the senior people in the company. And her boss was in the the room. And at the end of the three-minute pitch, he jumped out of his chair and started clapping. And I just thought, I bet you Monday morning when they have a meeting and there's six people sitting around the table, she would just be listened to that bit more. I'm I'm sure of it. Mm. You know, if people can be heard, if they can be listened to that bit better, then that is, that's such gold dust because so many people have got so much great stuff inside them and they just find it difficult to express it. They're able to 
express that a bit better. I, I can't express what a kick that gives me. And that moment, you know, you see that guy jump up and you think, man, that's going to make a difference to that person's life now on a daily basis because they just did this one thing better. Yeah, that's a big plus. You know, if I, if I extract it from the home stuff, like doing stuff, yeah, honestly, I'm also very keen to do something that my kids are proud of. Yeah, my daughter talks about me as the famous pitch coach and I always tell her I'm not that famous, but she's proud of what I do. I, yeah. That's a big thing as well. But finally, what I can do for those people, it can really make a big difference. Thank you so much, David, for taking the time to chat with me. I had a great time learning about your story. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find the show notes at naomihaile.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to The Power of Why on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I look forward to you listening to next week's episode. Thank you.